Welcome to the Stacking Slabs podcast. Join Brett to get the latest sports cards investment advice, hear from industry experts that are deep in the trenches, and find out when to turn left when the rest of the market is going right. Get eBay ready, get PayPal ready. Let's be students of the game and stack those slabs. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to Stacking Slabs, your hobby content alternative. Hopefully, you're all having a good close to your week. I'm really excited to bring this one to you. So I chop it up again with one of my favorite people in the hobby, Chris from House of Jordans and the Card Ladder team. We cover a lot of ground in this one. We talk about uh, the NBA, the stop and play. Um, we talk about some big topics. We talk about vintage. We cover football. That was awesome. But most importantly, the reason why I wanted Chris back on the show is because I know he knows more about what's happening on the Luka Doncic market than almost anybody else in the hobby. If you've been a fan of House of Jordans and listening to Chris for some time, you know he's been deep in the Luka game and he has a lot of great perspective to share. And I know Luka, no matter what, and as I record this, I'm not sure he could be done playing. He could still be playing. But the punchline is, is his cards are going to still matter. And because of that, we all need to know what the heck we should be doing with the Luca cards. This is not tell you what to do. This is share some perspective. So sit back, relax, grab a cold beverage, and enjoy the show. All right. What is up, everybody? Got another uh, hobby hustle conversation here with another reoccurring guest. We have. Chris, back from House of Jordans and Card Ladder team, excited to bring you back on the Hobby Hustle. How you doing today, man? Doing great, man. How are you? I cannot complain. I think, you know, these weeks, they tend to, I don't know if it's COVID or what, being quarantined for most of it, but these weeks tend to fly by and overlap and just there's so much happening right now on the hobby side. It's I, I think I'm jumping in and just keeping myself busy with content, buying cards, um, looking up cards, researching. Um, but it seems like time is accelerated right now. I don't know if you're going through a similar um, moment in time. Um, but yeah, things seem to be moving fast right now. Time is flying. Time is absolutely flying. You know, in the hobby, it's kind of like doggy years. You know, one month in the hobby feels like a year of real world time. And you just, you look up and you're like, man, so much has happened. <laughs> but a month, only a month has gone by. Uh, so, I don't know. I guess they said like, when you're having fun, time should fly. And it does fly. But it also feels like so much happens. So many things happen in the hobby over a week, over a month. I don't know. Yeah, it's moving quickly. And I think... We talked, I don't know, it was like a, a m month or two ago or who knows at this point, but I think a lot has changed, right? We have, basketball has been active and we watched a bunch of games before the playoffs started, which that, to, to be honest with you, that, that seems like an eternity ago at this point. What are your thoughts on that? It does. And uh, it's turbulent, man. It's so turbulent. We ha we've been without games for a few days. Things bigger than basketball are happening and transcending sports. 
conversations are happening in living rooms across the country, across the world that are very important and timely and relate to justice. And, uh, you know, this thing, man, just hang on. We're just, we're just hanging on for dear life. And, and I, I love to hear that sports will be back. I'm excited for basketball to return. Um, it, but yeah, yeah, man, having basketball come back in the first place when I mean, I'm sure you remember when COVID first hit, man, it was a terrifying moment uh, for sports fandom, for all industries, I think, related to sports and sports cards being one of them. When are sports going to return? What does this mean for collectibles? Uh, collectibles was a little bit different, right? Because you have all-time greats uh, who aren't playing anymore either way. But a lot of us love the prospects and we love active players. And so we were like, when are, we, when are sports going to come back? What's going to happen? Could this happen? Then you had the NBA bubble. And you're like, how could this possibly work? There were worries about false positives. Like what happens if guys get false positives? The false positive rate is like a couple percent. So that means that every day there's going to be a certain number of guys who test positive, but they just because of false positives, but they worked that out. They, they were able to figure out a testing procedure. There hasn't been any positive tests in the bubble for weeks now uh, among NBA athletes. So like the bubble has been a terrific success, but then something happened. I think the accelerated schedule, um, number one, that's, that's kind of unfair to guys like Kawhi guys who are a little bit older guys dealing with chronic illnesses. They're going to, they're coming out the gate strong, but like, they're not, they're not even getting the breaks in between series, like round two Eastern conference series. I think they had two days off before round two began. You sometimes you could, you could have a week or more. Mm-hmm off in between series you have two days three days in between games during normal playoffs now it's just every other day either you're you're playing or you're resting and practicing every other day very intense and so I don't know if that was fully if they fully understood what that would mean and the tax that that would take not only physically but psychologically on players and so I'm glad that they're I'm glad just on that level the psychological level players are getting a break for a couple days here before play resumes and I, and I hope that maybe they could slow down the schedule a little bit. But it's like, I think you said on your podcast, it was like March Madness, man. It was just every day, you know, for high intensity, impactful, meaningful seeding games and then playoff games. I wonder how you consumed it. Like, because I know you were watching a ton of basketball. How did you fit that in with cards? You know, were you yeah. watching the games on one screen, eBay on the other? How did that work? Yeah, so there's a lot that you just, uh, talked about that I want to unpack, but to respond to um, how I did it, I tried to like, you know, got a job I got to maintain too. So I tried to front load all of my meetings in my work schedule in the mornings. And so I had more flexibility to execute on some things in the afternoons while having the games on. So for me, it made like, as I'm at home trying to figure out, have tried to figure out what's the best way for me to work and operate within my house during COVID, it kind of was like the the next evolution of work for me where it made it more exciting and not as stagnant where I had every day I had something to look forward to. And like, it was like, I was like, it was like uh, I was gravitating to anything I could watch. And it started, you know, before the playoffs, I just wanted to watch guys play basketball. And it was like, I didn't care what it was, but like that was for me, it was like, let me watch these guys play basketball. Let me have fun doing it. And then on the other side, let me also try to work while this is happening. And then on the other side, it was like, all right, what's happening with cards and it's like, who's going up and stuff. And so I think like my mentality early on was, all right, let me try to make some 
good buys and find some good opportunities. And that's when I got in and bought TJ Warren during the game um, when he played uh, Philadelphia and started to go off, not only because I thought it was a good opportunity, but like I'm a fan of TJ Warren. But I I quickly realized like that's not the game like I want to be playing in the hobby like that. I know people are playing that game. But for me, it was like, I want to enjoy basketball. Like, I need to take a step back and be like, this is probably not the right time to be buying anyone NBA related because prices are crazy. And the chances of like hitting on like, uh, you know, Gary Trent Jr., which his silver price is just my goodness. I mean, holy cow, like that in and of itself and Damian Lillard and like, you know, rightfully so based on the market, but like you watch a Blazers game early on and like, not only was Damian Lillard scoring 50 points and winning games, but Gary Trent Jr. was uncanny at the three-point line. So it's like the hobby gravitates to those sorts of things. So to answer your question, like I really enjoyed that period. And I also like totally respect more than anything the response of the NBA players and the leadership that they took to try to use their platform to speak out on injustice. I think like first and foremost, like that is super powerful. And to me, those guys and those players taking a step back. I mean, we got to think like all these guys are just like in the bubble away from their families. And so like, they're like basketball is secondary. And for them to use the platform to speak out, I think is super powerful. So I'm more of a fan than ever of these guys after this, like, you know, LeBron, Giannis, like George Hill, like uh, Jalen Brown, like all these guys, like we have similar mindsets. Like I I can relate with them, not only because I enjoy watching them play basketball, but like I can relate with them because I know we have similar mindsets on looking outside and seeing what's happening is not right. So that to me, like if you're not seeing what they're doing and you you don't support it, then you've got to start I think, you know, asking yourself some questions because it's not about basketball. It's not about cards. It's about a lot more. So it's been, it's been just, it's been a lot. And for me, it's been a uh, incredible experience, like not only watching the game, seeing the response and I'll pass it over to you. But before we got back on, I was just like in between meetings, I, I was looking at my phone and it's like, I saw what Russell Westbrook is playing game five. That rules. Thank God. That's like, I can't wait to watch him. I saw Donovan Mitchell is, Uh, donating the sales of his new shoe that's coming out to education reform. It's like, that's the type of shit that like needs to be happening. And like that, like, it's just amazing. Like these guys are so young, but they're so thoughtful. And I think if you can't get behind them and get behind this, like this hobby and that sport is probably not for you. I I just said a lot there. I don't know if you have any response to that. Oh, I thought it was very well said. I I took a note on something there that you said that I think is is so in, in like, I'll tie it into the hobby because it resonated a lot. So we've seen sports cards become like increasingly important as uh, cultural artifacts. We've seen sports increasingly become a more and more central part of every person's daily life and in a way that they understand life through sports, through the lessons of sports, the way that they talk to family and friends and, and sports is a common language. And it's something that we all can discuss and, and, and viewing sports puts everybody on the same playing field. You know, whether you're a guy in a high rise suite in Manhattan watching basketball, or, you know, you're a group of guys drinking beers at the, at the local bar, watching basketball, we're watching the same game with the same two eyes. 
it's a great equalizer. Um, but but the thing is, is that like to my understanding, this was one of the first boycotts of an NBA game. I think it was the first of an actual NBA game. There there had been a boycott of an exhibition game in the '60s, uh, but this was an actual boycott of an NBA game, and then it, and then it went league wide. And it, I think it ties in to um, or a protest or whatever the the proper word is. I'm not sure what it is, but it ties into this idea that you know sports and athletes are such central figures and leaders in society right now, and they when they speak and they do things, it really matters. And it starts conversations and it inspires people to think and reflect and have discussions and have conversations and it furthers the ball. And that ties into cards, you know, is, is even though cards is a very secondary topic to the importance of these other topics, but, but it helps explain even more why cards have become such a central thing to many of us is, is because sports have, and, and cards are historical depictions and artistic representations of athletics and art. So what a time to be involved in the hobby and to be a sports fan and to be an American. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, one thing I wanted to make sure to touch on to get your perspective, because I know you're in the data every day, but you, you touched on vintage a little bit. And I know there's been this just rise of, you know, vintage prices over, um, you know, the last month or several weeks. And I know there's probably several factors that go into that. And to me, like vintage cards, like I have not gone down that route and I'm super fascinated by it. I know there's an ex- it's expensive and I, I'm, those artifacts that you mentioned and having a piece of those old players that like a Bill Russell, who's, a legend who's still alive. Like there's a piece of that where I I totally understand. But then on, I have this other side of me where it's like, I get this thrill of buying guys that are actively playing because like I have this knowledge of sports and understand their situation and know that they're undervalued and know that maybe in a year's time, they're going to get the opportunity to be the guy on their team, which in turn will cause their prices to go up based on performance. So I have like this competing side of like, do I get into vintage or do I keep doing what I'm doing? What have you been seeing on the vintage market? And have you made any like, is there any rhyme or reason for certain cards going up or down? Or what are your thoughts on vintage? I have a terrific amount of respect for vintage cards and for vintage collectors. And I've always felt outclassed by them. And I think that almost scared me away from vintage cards at the very beginning, because a lot of these guys have such rich knowledge of sports and there's a lot of nuances that go into collecting vintage. The way that grading matters to vintage is very interesting and it's, and it's different than modern where you know, we're dealing with all tens and nines. And when you get into vintage, you know, something like a three can be a good grade. Right. Um, so, you know, there's like a lot of context uh, to, to properly jump into vintage. But I think that like, whereas someone like me is overly cautious and, and sometimes, you know, the train can pass me by as I'm just sitting there fiddling and trying to figure out what to do. Other guys looked at vintage and they said, this is simple. Uh, you have maybe one rookie card in many instances of some of the all-time greats, Oscar Robertson, Wilt, uh, Kareem, Julius Irving, and they're low population. And if you look at the market caps and stuff like that, 
it just seems to be that these markets are, are very small and they have room. They can definitely take on a growth pattern that, sure enough, over the last month, you know, I couldn't believe my eyes. Bob Cousy is in the top 10 on the card ladder charts. And, you know, Julia Serving's up there. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar has just been bullying every other card. He has the hottest card in the hobby right now, his PSA 8 rookie card. And, and then the, the other thing about vintage is really cool, man, is that my collection to a non-sports card collector especially is very boring. I have two main guys. And I just have, <laughs> I have depth. You know, I have depth. I have like, this card from 97 of Jordan is awesome. This one of 93, this is why this is so meaningful to the insert legacy and stuff. And, but you know, when I show that to my friends, they're just they're like, oh, okay, you have two guys, cool. Other guys who have diverse collections, who can pull out an Oscar Robertson card and tell his story. And then they can pull out a George German card and tell his story. And then Dr. J and then Magic Johnson and Larry Bird, then Michael Jordan, then Kobe Bryant, then LeBron, then, you know, Trey Young, and then like Michael Jordan, and then Chris Paul, and then Paul George. And like these guys who have these like diverse collections, and then you can go bigger, you can go to other sports. And all of a sudden, here's Randy, here's my Randy Moss rookie and Peyton Manning. Did you know these guys were both having rookie cards in 1998 Chrome? And then, oh, by the way, Charles Woodson's from that class too. And it's also a beautiful Chrome product with the gold. And then you look at, you know, oh, and then here's like my Michael Thomas. And then Barry Sanders. And then, you know, I, I see guys, especially like I've been meeting a lot of different collectors than, than what I normally associated with before I started Card Ladder. I just see these diverse, beautiful collections that tell the history of sports. I imagine that like if those people were to show off their collection to somebody, it would be very inspiring uh, and very educational and in, intriguing. Uh, so like, I think that's partially behind the vintage move too, is that people are like, I want my collection to tell more of a story of sports and vintage you know is really important to the story of sports do you think that like the vintage rise and you know bob Cousy showing up on the card ladder is that a element of people that might be a little older than us from a demo perspective entering the hobby and saying you know these cards are fun but these cards are overpriced like if i'm going to spend that money i want it to be on someone that I grew up watching or someone that my dad would always talk about, or are there other outside factors that you think are contributing to it? Great question. I don't know. I don't know if there's uh, people, vintage people coming in and collecting vintage <laughs> cards. I don't, I don't know that, but I do know that younger guys that I chat with guys in their twenties, thirties, for sure. Forties, they are coming in and saying to themselves, like, hold on a minute like you know wilt or bill russell you know kareem like these guys only have one rookie card there's not many of them graded and they seem cheap compared to what stuff's selling for right now they just seem cheap and so i i think people are like making a market prediction that like these cards have a lot of room to go up totally yeah i uh I think it, it it's the scarcity thing. And I think like I, as I am evolving in the hobby, like I have not gone down the vintage route, but I'm certainly more attracted to cards that are, there's only 10 of them or cards that there's only 25 of them. And I think I talk about how I think, you know, if this market goes down, inevitably it'll go down. I don't think it'll pop, but like that's to me protection outside of the 
era of the prison base card that is just is the entry point for almost everyone. It's like the the Honda Accord, right? It's like when you drive for the first time, everyone has a, an Accord or Camry. That's like the prism base 10, you know? It's like, and I, and I don't make fun of people for that. I was doing that. Like, that was what I was doing because that's all I knew. But like, I quickly realized that that was like basic and like everyone was doing that. It just wasn't as exciting. But now like, you know, we've shared messages and like, I'm just on these hunts for like limited cards, refractors. And it's like, you get those slabs in the mail and you're like, God, this is so cool. Like, I can't stop looking at this. Like, and wow, and this guy is about to step on the football field. And like, I've got like, there's 10 of these cards. And like, if he does pan out to what I think he was, like, what's the value of this card going to be? So it's like that side of it for me, I think is like what I gravitate towards. And I'm just getting started on that, but I can see like, me riding that way for quite some time because inserts, parallels, like serial numbered cards, like it's, you can go like product lines, you can go so deep into that. And like, that's what I'm, I'm spending my time doing right now. And when I catch something that I like, I'm using my resources like Josh, Hey Josh, like, have you looked at immaculate RPAs? Like, I, you know, I think the immaculate RPA from all I've seen, he's like, no, I'm focused on NTs. So it's just like, everyone's got opinions. And I just think like back to like, you just got to be a student, like do it, dig in, do the research and find what you like. And just as long as you're having fun with it, like keep trying to evolve what you're doing. Well said, very well said. A a good litmus test for me uh, when I'm seeking cards to acquire is uh, that makes it more exciting for me is like, can I go buy this card on eBay at any time? Because if I can, it's fun, you know, it's especially like when, I'm, when I was first starting, you know, any card coming in the mail was a thrill. <laughs> like, it didn't matter. Like, it, it just, I remember winning my first auction, my heart rate was like 160. My, it, it was crazy, right? But then it got, time goes by and, and then it's like, ah, uh, you know, this is a cool card. But like, if I put, if I want to sell it, it's, it'll just get lost in a sea of other copies. Uh, and it will sell, but like, it doesn't, it didn't excite me anymore. So like the litmus test now I think is like, can I go on eBay and buy this card anytime I want? Because if I can, then it doesn't thrill me so much. But like, mm-hmm. if this is a card that I have to wait like a month for, for, and just wait for one to come up on auction, or I have to like go on Instagram and message 50 people and try and find a copy of it somewhere. Or maybe there's a copy on eBay, but it's like so ridiculously overpriced and the guy's never going to sell it. And he just wants to show it off. Right. Like that, those are the cards that then get the hobby blood flowing. Yeah, no, I I'm with you. And I think that you talked about cards in the mail and I'm sure I know you've bought them in person, but I'm sure over time you've acquired several in the mail. And the main topic of what I wanted to get into today was just to talk a little Luca and no better person to talk Luca with than Chris. And if you've listened to any of Chris's stuff over the last year, year or so, you know that he is one of the top Luca collectors out there. And I just, first of all, before we talk Luca and cards, I'll set the stage by saying, this is when I know someone's doing something special in sports. When I'm watching, what was it, game three, and I'm watching Mavs and I'm watching Clippers. And first of all, that's the best game of the playoffs so far, undeniably. So much happened in that last couple of minutes. But when 
the Mavericks had the chance to win the game, I just said, Luke is going to hit this shot. And my wife put down her phone and she sat up and she all eyes, all attention on the game. And, you know, when you say something like that, because you just have so much confidence in what you've seen in a player and the momentum. And sure enough, he did what he was supposed to do, took control, put the shot up, threw the net, pandemonium. And we talked about last time you were on this, is this guy is like, he's in his second year and he's got more highlights than a lot of Hall of Famers do. But like thinking about that experience gives me goosebumps. But like, not only like have I been a fan of watching him, my brother is, who's gotten back in the hobby, he is obsessed, won't shut up about Luca. And so all these people now in the hobby have opinions and questions about Luca. But like, before we get into that, I just want to know, like, when that shot happened, when that was going on, like, what were you doing? What was going through your head? Dude, it was crazy. So I was watching the game. Christina was there, of course. <laughs> uh, couldn't barely stand to watch. Uh, Christina was there. My brother, uh, Nick was there. My dad was there. I was there. All sitting together watching the game. Uh, it had been a phenomenal game. The Mavericks were down 52-31 to 31 in the second quarter. Coach Carlisle put in J.J. Barea and Justin Jackson, and it looked like the game was done. <laughs> like they had thrown in the towel. And not only was the game done, it looked like they had thrown in the towel on the series. No poor Zingas because of knee soreness. How could this possibly happen? But then Luka came back in. They started fighting back. Trey Burke started going off. Seth Curry started going off. Tim Hardaway started making some big shots. Luca obviously went off. They closed the gap at halftime to a single-digit deficit. In the third quarter, they went nuts. Doc Rivers inexplicably didn't call a timeout for like a 20-0 run. And before you know it, you're in the fourth quarter, and the Mavs are up by double digits. But we all get nervous because the Mavericks are one of the worst clutch time teams in the NBA, meaning the last five minutes in games decided by five points or less, or the games that come into that, that close of a point differential, the Mavs are terrible. They're one of the worst teams in the league. So like, okay, here we go again. They're going to blow it again. And sure enough, the Clippers climb back in. Uh, I think it was Reggie Jackson makes this crazy pass to Kawhi for wide open three. And like, just I'm, I'm becoming more pessimistic by the minute. Fortunately, Kawhi on the last play of the game misses um, the, the shot to win and it goes into overtime. And at this point, like we're all looking at each other. and We're like, this is this is like a great game. Like this game has been insane. This is, you know, n- not to put it on par with it, but like the game that I could. I, it reminds me that that Patriots Falcons Super Bowl <laughs> where mm-hmm. it was just hope had just been squeezed out of the Patriots. It was 28 to three. Right. You're just like, it's it's not it's over. But then something miraculous happens. And so, you know, you get into the overtime, overtime happens, gets down to that last play. You know, the Clippers have a foul to give the Clippers foul. Luca It's like three seconds left. How is he even going to get a shot off? Fortunately, they ran the double screen. It got a switch. Uh, so I think it was Reggie Jackson who was guarding Luca, but but bro, Luca had airballed like three <laughs> step back three pointers yes. in the game, and and like <laughs> it, throughout the season, Luca was 0 for 10 on game winning or game tying shots. So like I'm like, oh, this is this is gonna suck. Like I could barely watch it. I had to stand up like for the play, and then the shot goes in, and just like 
all four of us just scream. We just, <laughs> ah, we're just screaming. <laughs> Couldn't believe what we had just seen. It was, it was one of the best playoff games I've ever seen. Totally exhilarating. <laughs> I mean, the whole sports media complex went absolutely nuts for the next 48 hours. Bill Simmons putting out podcasts, first saying Luca could be a top 20 all-timer. His last podcast, he said he looks like a top 10 all-time player. Just the Luca mania reached a peak that I didn't even think it could get to after that shot. And then, of course, the Clippers come back and beat them by like 40 the next right. day, <laughs> which, which is good. Yeah, which, which was it, like it, a white blanket that we needed. But. Yeah, it, it makes it makes for an exciting next game, that's for sure. And I think part of this uh, Luca mania is like there's so many perspectives and opinions on like people with Luca cards, what they should be doing. And I think you know I've talked about on the episode Wednesday that aired on Wednesday will air on Wednesday of this week about PSA 10 Luca hoops card that I put up that went for an all time high sale. Why I did it, I did it as a couple reasons as a test to the market based on that period of time, that 24 hour period. And then also I know the Giannis hoops PSA 10 is keeps going up. I have a copy of that one, but for me, I'm evolving my collection and I'm just trying to get out of base cards. So that's why I sold it. So I think there's like all of these opinions on like, if you got Luca right now, what you should be doing. I know you've got like, you've got a more serious Luca collection than probably 99% of the hobby right now. So like what is going through your head? Cause he obviously is a monster mega superstar already. He's still very much young and there's a lot to prove. I think there is obviously always risk with guys who haven't won championships or MVPs, this and that, but I know you've got so much, investment in Luca and you're a fan of Luca how how are you thinking about this period right now do you think about it from like this is amazing like I've got all these cards are going to continue to go up or is there a part of you that's a little concerned that this might be the period of time where I've got to try to get rid of some of these what's going through your head with your Luca PC right now oh man terrific question and congratulations on the hoops sale thank you thank you nicely done what how much out of curiosity how much were you into that card for and what did it end up selling for i bought it for 162.50 in uh march and i sold it for i think it was 650 dollars. that's amazing (laughs) for a uh, for a base base luca hoops rookie card that's amazing Okay, so I, um, I try to emulate the great collectors that I look up to, whether it's Stephen Goh or some of the he's, – he's a great Michael Jordan collector that I, that I take a lot of inspiration from. There's, there's several great Luca collectors out there that I take inspiration from, and it doesn't surprise me much to see that, like, the great Luca collectors that I try to emulate, they also collect – guys like Kobe, LeBron, Jordan, you know, and so I, I try to, they're, they're very seasoned and I try to follow their blueprint and learn from them, do it my own way, but try to learn from them. And what I see them doing is they are in an absolute hurry in a rush to get the big cards 
as quickly as they can as soon as they appear. The, the grails, they want to land them, and then you are never going to see those cards again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> those cards get locked away, and they are holding and enjoying Luka cards for the duration of his career and beyond. And that is the blueprint that I love. And I try to do that. And I try to emulate that. So like, I'll give one example. I, I don't, he's a private collector, so I won't say who he is, but mm-hmm. he won the Luca Prism Nebula PSA 10 one of one. And he paid about 42 or 40 grand for that card in, I think it was September of last year. <laughs> and people thought he was nuts, man. They thought he was nuts. But I remember him saying he was very happy to have won that card and to have gotten it at the price he got it at. And that card has like a really cool hobby history too. Like I think it was um, Leighton sports cards who pulled it. You can go look at the video on YouTube whenever you want. It was crazy when it got pulled. I Leighton remember- pulls everything. <laughs> Leighton, Leighton definitely pulls everything. <laughs> and, and so like, and I remember I was messaging with the guy who had the card who won it in the break. And like, but I was too, cautious to make a bold offer to get the card from him so so he graded it got psa 10 he sent it to pwcc and this great collector won it for like 40 grand and you will never see that card again that card is gone and it's in the collection of an absolute legendary luca collector and i i want to be like that that that's how i want to collect that's how i want to do it i want to get the closest thing to a grail that i can get and never let it go that's, that's kind of why like i like one of ones and stuff like even though i don't I'll never be on the level of the Nebula one-on-one, but like Luca rookie one-of-ones, if I can find them, second year one-of-ones. That's my approach uh, is, is to get grails and to just hold them and just, and then watch Luca's career and watch it unfold. And so, but you know, I, that makes you nervous too, because like I've got money in this and I, I don't want to lose money and I don't, I don't want to play the market incorrectly. So that's why what we did, Christine and I did was we sold enough Luca cards in June so that we went to zero investment in Luca. So everything is house money. And that's a little bit of a sunk cost fallacy because like, yeah, I can tell myself I've put zero into Luca, but the fact of the matter is I actually have cards here that are worth money that I could sell right now. So like, mm-hmm. it's not like it's just nothing. Like, but that's kind of the psychological comfort I give myself is like, okay, I've flipped some Lucas. I've gone to zero as an investment in him. The cards are a luxury. I just want to be like the great collectors and I just want to hold these cards for as long as possible. My head goes to a couple things and it's one, the amount of confidence you have in Luca's right now and Luca's future. I think you just have to have tremendous comp- confidence to operate that way, which is admirable. And I think just in the hobby, that's what we're all looking for. We're all looking to, who who are in the hobby for the ultimate right reasons and the connection with the players is to find a guy that you're just so confident and connected with that you can just stash their cards away and you want to keep them there forever. I think that's super interesting and cool. And I think the other thing is just the confidence that you have to have in the market and the sustainability of the market and the market operating in a way that you know, those cards aren't going to go down in value and you could have had 20 grand one day and next thing you know it, you know, now you, you have nothing. So are there things based on what you've seen over this wild period of time over the last 12 months in the, the market that leads you to think that, you know, there might be some risk, but I think that risk is um, not like junk wax or anything like that. Great question. Great insights. Uh, I will say that like, I'm, 
to give the full context, I'm like cheating a little bit compared to like somebody who only collects Luca because like half of our collection is Michael Jordan. <laughs> mm-hmm. So like, you know, it's, it's a balance, it's a balancing act. So, so we have a retired player in our collection, Christine and I, uh, who is as blue chip as you get. So, you know, half the collection is that. And I, I love his cards. The Michael Jordan era of cards is to me by far the best era of cards. So like, that's, I, I have that. I love that. Um, it, it of course also is tied to the sports car market as a whole. Um, so if the sports car market as a whole starts doing poorly, everything will suffer. I, I am all in on Luca, but he's only half of the equation. The other half. So, is- so it might be a little different if you weren't sitting on a bunch of Michael Jordan yes, cards. It would be, it would, it would have to be different. <laughs> so would- so there, there, there are some insights there that I think are super powerful for anyone listening. Like I think, there are certainly opportunities and part of the fun is to buy in on Luca when you bought in on Luca and watch the ride and watch the momentum. That is like the volume at which you did it. You hit the perfect storm, like the perfect storm. And that's not always going to happen, but you've protected yourself by having one of the most solid assets there is. And that is a stack of Michael Jordan, really nice inserts cards that are solid. And I think that's something that I have been learned is that I have fun prospecting into these guys, but in order for me to maintain my sanity and not think I'm going to lose my all my money in a year's time, that's why I've made sure like to have LeBron in my collection, to have these guys who aren't going to go down and I think that's just good advice for anybody who's listening like make sure you have a blue chipper in there. It might seem like it's expensive buying a blue chip guy, but it's going to help maintain your sanity as you try to navigate, navigate the hobby. Yeah. And even within the blue chip players learn their markets because like the Michael Jordan Fleer PSA 10 long-term has been straight line up, but it has lots of fluctuations in between and you have to have a strong hand and ride out those fluctuations. Whereas like other segments of the Michael Jordan market inserts and the parallels from the nineties, those don't really fluctuate at all. Mm-hmm. Those have been on a steady ascension and, and, and I get it because like I, that those are cards I grew up with. Those are the cards I love. I'm in communities of people who collect those cards. I understand why and how that market operates the way it does. The Fleer base it's, it's that card is very complicated because like so many people across so many different sports want it. And there's, tens of thousands of graded copies of it out there it's highly liquid but it's also super transactional and it can fluctuate so like even when you pick a blue chip player you're gonna want to like get even more narrow it's like what segment of this player's card market do i want to operate in totally so i guess advice you have for people that have luca cards right now that aren't not aren't like I've got Michael Jordan and I've got Luca cards and that's all I do, but they've got some Luca pieces in their collection right now. And they're trying to figure out like, what do I, what the hell do I do with this? Do I cash out? Like, do I hold, what kind of advice do you have for those people? And, you know, you can take it for whatever you want. You can take about, like, think about it as base cards. You can think about it as serial number cards, however you want to take it. What, what would you advise the market to do right now? Yeah. So I would say, think about two of the ways that this thing can go. 
one way that this thing can go, and it's it has been going this way lately, is Luka Doncic is the Ken Griffey Jr. or the Michael Jordan of this current era of sports cards. He, it, you know, in the 90s, uh, sports cards were big, but a lot of the institutional uh, tools that enable sports cards to be a very growing and, and healthy market today did not exist in the 90s. We didn't have eBay. We didn't have ways to check comps. We did have Beckett, but we, there, a lot of transparency was missing back then. Uh, you know, things were very regional. So like you didn't really have a good idea of scarcity of stuff back then. You, you had pack odds. You didn't even have serial numbered cards in the early 90s. So like, but thinking about back to that era, Luca uh, right now feels like the biggest thing in the hobby right now. Mm-hmm. And, and there's so much enthusiasm and people rallying around him. And there's so many cards that he has. Uh, and you can come into these cards at any level. And so that is very exciting because it means that kids and people who are joining this hobby um, on very limited budgets can collect Luka Doncic right alongside the all-time great super wealthy collectors who have put together multi-million dollar Luka collections. There's a collector from South Korea who has a multi-multi-million dollar Luka collection. You can see it on Instagram. It's, God, I wish I could remember his name's jason i wish i could remember the full name off the top we'll of my put head. it in the show notes yeah and you can go look at his collection and be blown away and get but guess what you know there's kids who are 12 13 who have luca collections of second year base cards and inserts from his rookie year that that are that are you know ten dollar twenty dollar cards fifty dollar cards so like there's room for everybody the number of luca collectors that exist is big and it's growing you know, he is, you look at some, like a proxy for his popularity is like how many all-star votes he's getting. He single-handedly, it would seem, has like doubled the amount of all-star votes that get cast in the NBA. Cause like in his rookie year, he, he was like maybe the third highest vote getter. This year he was second. He, this year he had over 6 million votes prior to this year. No one had ever even come close to get 6 million votes. He was eclipsed by LeBron. Um, and I think like part of the reason why is because the way the ballot works is you, you don't vote for one person, you vote for a whole starting five. Yeah. So like all of this, the new Luka fans come in and vote, they vote for Luka, but guess what? They also vote for LeBron, obviously, mm. right? So like, so he's, so like you look at these proxies for why he's such like a, a transcendent athlete and something as simple as like all-star votes and stuff like that. You look at the number of collectors, you look at the way the hobby is booming. In, in my opinion, Luka is the reason why uh, like earlier Prism releases and why the Prism brand has become so big is because everybody was chasing 2018 Prism to, to try and hit that Luca Silver. That's how we got into Luca, was just trying to hit mm-hmm. that card. And so then people started, like, the Prism, he elevated the Prism brand. And then people thought critically about the Prism brand, and they went back to the 2012 issue, and they realized how short printed it was. And then that whole set has exploded. And now every player who has a card in that set, that card's like an important part of that player's canon. So, like, that's the one path that this could go down is like Luca is the Ken Griffey Jr. The Michael Jordan of this era of sports cards that could happen. That's going to have to be tied though to performance on the court that materializes into him being a top 10 all time basketball player that, that has to, that those have to go hand in hand. 
It's like, yeah, yeah, no, that that's great perspective. And I think, man, that leads me to think about just Luca and his current situation. And I think obviously Dallas, like, this is something I wanted to talk about in regard in regards to Luca is just like hobby immunity. And like, as a player with cards, like, you know, to me, like LeBron is Teflon, like it doesn't matter. Like he could have lost this Portland series and his cards were still going to remain strong. And so I look at Luca and I'm like, when does Luca get like hobby immunity? It's still really, really early. And I, I think about like the on the court stuff and like, man, how favorable is it for him to get to that hobby immunity quicker with having a guy like Chris Stapps Porzingis to play with? And then you talked about their team earlier. They've got all these exciting Hardaway and Curry, all these young, like these guys who can shoot the ball. But like you look at the Mavericks team on paper, you're like, they've got a great, excellent head coach. Rick Carlisle is in Indiana. I'm a fan of him. But like it seems to me, and I don't know if it's an element of maybe Luka just needing a little more time, maybe another season or two. I'm uncertain right now if like, I just don't view Dallas as a contender this year. And so I think in order to grant yourself, like grant them hobby immunity, they need to win championships. So what are your thoughts on that? Like, I think maybe if Luka's hitting game winners every night, that could put the path on the Mavs to win the championship. But like, that's not something we should all be um, betting on. But do you think he needs more pieces or do you think it's an element of time? What are your thoughts? Yeah, well, so let me use my answer to tell the other way that this story can end. Yeah. You know, so the Mavs like a fringe contender this year. And there were there were analytics. Um, so because, because like when you look at like what best predicts NBA champions and, and winners of NBA games, and one of the best predictors is, is point differential, net rating point differential. And the Mavericks had the best offense in the history of the NBA this year in terms of net rating, and their point differential was among the best in the league. So, uh, you know, like basketball references, playoff projection tool for most of the season had them as either the second or the third most likely team to win the title. Because you just, you look at these metrics that have been predictive in the past. Now, these are just advanced analytics and it's, it's devoid of content, but I was watching it very closely throughout the whole year. And obviously, and, yeah, and I was thinking about that a lot, you know, and I was like, this is interesting. Okay. But the numbers started to taper off a bit and, and the Mavericks were uh, harmed by injuries this year. Luca had an ankle injury. Porzingis had to sit out a few weeks with a sore knee. And then they, they became kind of like this 500 team. And then, you know, it, it's like, okay, this is a mess. But I think they're a, they're a fringe contender this year. But you look at, like, next year you can have the Warriors coming back. You're going to have the Lakers with a whole nother offseason of chemistry under their belt. You will still have Houston. You will have the Pelicans, who are retooling right now. But on paper, 538's season record projection tool puts the Pelicans at a 56-win team the last time I checked. So if that's to get that many wins in the West is very difficult. So like, and then that's, you got the jazz, you got the nuggets, like Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray are having these coming out parties. Portland and Phoenix, Portland and Phoenix. Oh oh my God. Right. Right. Oh dude. Jamal Murray had 95 points over the last two games and zero turnovers. (laughs) That is nuts. So like you're, you're dealing with like a Western conference that is extremely difficult. Right. So like you look at that and, and you and the, every NBA playoffs is a reminder of how hard it is to win an NBA title. Yes. And I think that also like to, to relate back to our discussion 
earlier. That's another reason why new entrants to the hobby suddenly find vintage very attractive is that they're like, whoa, wait a minute. I, maybe uh, Luca isn't going to be the next Larry Bird. Like, wait a minute. Like, maybe Devin Booker, like, maybe he's not going to win a title. And then you got Bill Russell here. You got Will Chamberlain here. You got the big O here. Like, these guys have already done it. And, man, it is hard to do. So, like, we respect that. So, like, so that's the other path that could happen to Luca. is, like, the Mavericks become this, like, middling playoff team. Porzingis is, you know, has to keep sitting out with injuries. They don't get the right tools. God forbid Giannis does something like go to the Golden State Warriors. Oh, no. And, and, and now you've got a situation where it's like, oh, so then, you know, in like uh, – Adam Lefko said this, and but it's but we all know this. But uh, the NBA will turn on its young stars after a period of time. So, like Carl Anthony Towns was once the golden boy, yeah, the, the number one pick, the rookie of the year. But then, when the Timberwolves aren't really making much noise anymore, or you know, then all of a sudden the the narrative starts to turn on that player, James Harden. I mean, the guy is a scoring legend. You know, I know that people have issues with like watching him play i personally don't i like watching him play but people have issues with him watching him play you get to that you know now you're like 30 like hard in 31 you don't have a title you know you're an mvp candidate but like uh you know what what so what happens what does that player's legacy look like um and so then that his legacy i've heard people remark though like his legacy down the line might actually be like much better when you have the vantage point of just looking at numbers and looking at what he accomplished but like that's the other way that this could go man is that he could become Towns or Ben Simmons or Harden. Um, and even that might be favorable. You know, I mean, those are still like all NBA caliber or at least in Simmons case, all defensive caliber players. Um, you know, it could, it could go that way. And then you just have like a, a good player, you know, or, or the worst case scenario, Tyreek Evans, you know, a guy who's like this incredible prospect. And then, He's out of the league all of a sudden. So like it can don't, go that don't, way. don't don't bring up Tyreek Evans on stacking clubs. <laughs> he he ruined it half of a pacer season for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. So like that it can go that way too. It that can happen as well. It, the likelihood of that gets lower um as as time passes. Dude, nobody gave the Mavericks a chance against the Clippers. Nobody gave them a, a chance. People were projecting 4-0 sweeps. Vegas, the line, the Vegas lines in these games is still almost like double digits in favor of the Clippers, but they, but it's, it's three, two right now. If a couple of things go a different way, like Porzingis doesn't get unfairly, in my opinion, ejected from game one. Oh, it's bad, bad. We everybody in the hobby. Like I put up something, everybody, it was unanimous. There was no, like, there was no one that said Porzingis deserve to be ejected not one person <laughs> so that that's a tough break you know Luca hurting his ankle um is a tough break you know Porzingis having to sit out with knee soreness dude in this playoff series Porzingis is averaging 24 and 9 on 53 percent from the floor 53 percent from three 53 percent from three and 87 percent from the free throw line that's Porzingis's playoff stat line like when these guys are healthy Man, that is the best offense the NBA has ever seen, right? And, like, Luka is the maestro of it. So, like, man, there's a lot of ways that this can go, that this legitimately can go. Okay, before we, before we get off the Luka topic, I just want to, like, 
I've been trying to figure this out. And to me, I've talked about this, but from my, from me, and I want to know what it is for you. It's happened so quick that he has been elevated into this conversation of like the next LeBron and being this next big thing. And he has got things that have, he's done like the game winner to help validate this. But I want to know for you, for me, I, I, and I think everyone's got a different reason. I gravitate towards watching him play because when he brings the ball up the floor and he makes his decisions, it reminds me of Magic Johnson. When he gets the ball and he's, he has the confidence to score like Larry Bird. And it's the combination of those two things for me, why like I see those glimpses of moments of players that I grew up watching that I thought were gone forever. And now I'm watching like a hybrid of these two guys that just like kicked each other's asses for so many years being great. And so that's why I'm like, this is why I like Luca. I'm curious from your end, obviously you've been invested in him forever. What is it about him that you gravitate towards? Man, the fact that he is the engine of the greatest offense the league has ever seen. And that like, when I say that, I'm talking about offensive rating. The Mavericks 116.7 offensive rating, which is just points per 100 possessions. It's better than the Golden State Warriors. It's better than the Showtime Lakers. It's better than the 90s Bulls. Like, like that, just to give a perspective of how amazing their regular season offense was. He is the engine of it. And it's, it's the playmaking. You know, it's when he will drive into the lane and he will know which rotation is happening before it happens. And so he knows that Dorian Finney-Smith is going to be open in half a second in the corner, but he's not open yet. And so he's able to anticipate that pass and make that pass immediately. But then it's also like, so I love the playmaking. I, it's just a very fun brand of basketball to watch. But then I also love the dominance. Dude, he has been bullying Kawhi Leonard and Paul <laughs> yeah. George and Reggie Jackson. And like, nobody saw that coming. People were like, Kawhi is going to shut him down. Like Kawhi is the lockdown defender. And I knew, I, did, I knew that wasn't going to happen because I knew during the regular season, the last time Kawhi and the Clippers had guarded him, Luka put up 36, 10, and 9. So like, I'm just sitting here patiently waiting for it to happen. But like, yeah, in, the, in, in, the, in one of the most important games of the series, the game that he hits the game winner, he goes off for 43, 17, and 13. And like those are video game stat lines. It's surreal. It's it's bigger than what your realistic imagination would allow you to allow to think is possible. I remember even before that game, like guys in the Luca Facebook groups were like, Luca's gonna have like 50, 12, and 12 tonight. And I'm like, no, he's not. Like, why are you guys <laughs> hyping yourselves up like this? This is not gonna happen. And it pains me and it makes me feel like Luca collectors are unrealistic because they're like 50, 12, and 12. Oh, and then but but then he goes off for 43, 17, and 13 in the biggest game of his, his NBA career so far. And it's, and it's it, like, it just, it, it, go, it, it exceeds my expectations. And like, that's a really fun part about watching him too, is that he, there is like still somehow an underdog component to him. And he keeps exceeding the bar that has been set for him. He keeps exceeding my expectations of what he can do. Like that's, that's a really fun part about his game. It's just like, what is he going to do next? What, you know, what record is he going to break next? Like, what, what thing is, is he going to do that like only him and LeBron and Oscar Robertson have ever done? You know, it's that, I think that's one of the most fun parts about, about following his career. Yeah. And I think that's the best part about following players and collecting cards is the ability to buy into someone who continues to blow your mind, every performance and validate 
those purchases, while at the time might have seemed expensive, but when they continue to exceed your expectations, that's when you know their card prices are going to continue to go up. And I think just I want to close out just talking a little bit of football, not a lot, just a little bit, but I have been just on this football path for a very, very long time. I think I've made the bold claim and statement that I think Kyler Murray is the Luca of the NFL this year from a growth, um, blow your mind, exceed expectations. I'm just, I study basketball and I'm pretty good at it. I would say I'm, I'm even better at studying football based on just being a massive football fan, being a player, doing the analysis, how the offenses work. And I've just studied what the Cardinals have done to help build him and set him up and change the offense and make it suitable for his needs. So I've been nuts in buying up Kyler Murray because I'm ambitious and think that we could see some similar jumps as to what happened with Luca. But I know you have been getting in the game in football. So I'm, I want you to share with the audience maybe what you've been doing, why you've been doing it, and um, how much fun you're having. Well, I have the great fortune of being a Chicago Bears fan. Oh, Bears. So, so, so football, look, uh, when, we, when we talk about football, you know, as Bears fans, it always goes back to that 85 Bears. <laughs> 85 Bears. Best football team ever. Beat the Patriots 46-10 in the Super Bowl. My dad has it on VHS tape. He, he will watch it a million times. Oh, we got to watch the 85 Bears documentary, the 30 <laughs> Like, it's, it's, it's insane. And the Bears haven't been good in so long. They've had good teams along the way, but. Can I comment on that real quick? Yes. Yes. So, so um, when I went to college, it was right in the middle of, it was literally my junior year of college was Colts-Bears Super Bowl. <laughs> my house was literally divided. Colts fans. Bears fans, kids from Chicago, Chicago Burbs, kids from Indianapolis area, which made for a absolutely insane week living in a fraternity house with that going on. But uh, before that, my freshman year, I visited Soldier Field for the first time. Colts were playing the Bears, and the, this was before the Bears could even think about sniffing the Super Bowl. There, I think Craig Krenzel was the starting quarterback. It was really bad. Edron James rushed for like 250 yards. It was ridiculous beat down. But I, to validate what you're saying, it blew my mind <laughs> as I, I'm used to going to the Colts games and everyone had Manning jerseys or Edge jerseys or Marvin jerseys. There was not one active player jersey in the house. It was Mike Singletary and Richard Dent and, you know, you name it. So like that Chicago fan base is so proud of that team, which I can respect that, that Super Bowl win. But, you know, there hasn't been a lot of hope since that team won the Super Bowl, and I saw that with my own eyes. Dude, yeah, like, I, I give – my selfish gift-giving is I give people cards because, like, I know how to search them. Like, it's fun for me to buy them. And it's so, like, I was trying to find one for my dad. I'm like, what What would I give a Bears fan? What Like, do I want to give him a Trubisky card? Like, no. So I, <laughs> I ended up giving him a Jim McMahon. Uh, rookie card right and so like and then I gave him like another card that was about like the 85 bears and it has like the fridge on it I forget what card it was but like the the bears fandom is uh bears fandom is is something else it's pessimistic you know we're always just like we get our hopes up but we know better and so okay so that's like kind of my football background (laughs) it's like just torture 
of, <laughs> of watching the Bears never quite get it done, whether it's the double doink, whether whatever, whether it's taking Trubisky over Mahomes and Watson and uh, whatever it is that that's just so like I have like pessimism in football in my NFL fandom blood, but nonetheless, uh, football is the maybe like 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 Sundays when football season is going. There's nothing like that in any other sport, man. Especially now with Red Zone Channel, we're just like in fantasy. Dude, we have a like. Uh, you, usually, I have to Skype uh, to watch games with my brother, and my dad, and some of my uncles. But like, my brother, and my dad will get together and they will set up multiple screens. They'll have the ESPN fantasy on one computer, and like they're watching constantly all the updates. They have Red Zone on one channel on a different TV, and then on a different TV, they'll have the Bears game or whatever the next local game is that's getting the local broadcast. So like, football fandom is very intense. And football is a very intense and enjoyable sport. And like, why wouldn't that intersect and make collecting with collecting cards and make collecting cards even more fun, especially when like you can collect guys, they might not even be on a good team, but they're good fantasy players and they put up numbers, they put up highlights. And like now all of a sudden, like Sunday is even more fun as you're watching and rooting for guys. And like, I want to give a hat tip to you as being one of the first, if not the first people to start talking about this and to, to put and to make that connection of cards to fantasy studs. Um, and like, I wish I had gotten involved back when you first talked about it, <laughs> but here I am. Same. I wish I was a little more aggressive when I yeah. first started talking about it. Yeah. And you, you know, you look like Michael Thomas cards are going nuts. Julio Jones cards are going nuts. And then the guy who I've settled on, who I think is a little underrated, right now, given what he's able to accomplish so far as Christian McCaffrey. C-Mac has had three years in the league. Two of them have been uh, two of the top 15 fantasy seasons for a running back ever, and he owns the number two best fantasy football season of any running back ever, only behind LaDainian Tomlinson's epic season that he had. So, like, McCaffrey is already, like, a legend. In the, in the fantasy books, um, the only player with more top 15 fantasy seasons is Marshall Falk. Uh, he and LT both have two of the top 15 seasons. So, like, I looked at that. And I was like, man, this guy. And McCaffrey also helped me win a fantasy football title uh, one year. So, you know, I, I'm like, man, this guy is, is like a young legend here. I've been now I've been looking. So I've gotten some McCaffrey stuff. So, like, now I've been looking into, like, the Panthers a bit. And I see that, like, it looks like Teddy Bridgewater might be the starting quarterback over yeah. there this year. And, like, he's, he's a, he was great with the Saints last year. Um, you know, he's pretty good with his checkdowns. So I think McCaffrey might be able to dink and dunk his way to a lot of yards and a lot of fantasy points this year, I'm hoping. But the Panthers' optimistic is very gloomy. Their, their outlook is very gloomy. Nobody is high on Will Greer when I read stuff. Mm-hmm. And, like, that sucks because, like, he was supposed to be a stud, but, like, he looked bad last year apparently. And so, like, you know, the Panthers are not going to be very good this year probably. That's what the projections are. Although, like, I saw also that they took, like, their first seven draft picks were defensive players, which is, yeah. like, the first time that happened in a very long time in football. So, like, I don't know what to expect with the Panthers, but I know that, like, there's a good chance that McCaffrey is going to put up points and numbers. and like. I want to root for a guy who's I like like Luca. I, I like rooting for those video game yeah. like 
crazy numbers guy who like this guy's breaking records, man. And he's doing it at a young age. And like, he's, you know, he's coming into his fourth season, but like, you know, he's already accomplished so much. His dad, you know, Hall of Fame, he's his dad in the Hall of Fame. I don't know, but he, I think his dad won three Super Bowls as yeah. a wide receiver with the Broncos. His mom was a soccer player at Stanford. You know, the guy is just an athlete through and through. And like, I think he'll be a lot of fun to collect this year. Yeah, no, I think you settled on a really, really good one. Um, Workhorse, going to get a ton of touches, proven commodity, definitely exciting. Um, and I, I shared this on the episode that's going live on Wednesday, but the, I was looking at, I've been looking at football and just the elevation of the prices that have gone on since May. So if you look at Lucas, uh, since May, Lucas PSA 10, um, prism has gone up, I think 182% since May Christian McCaffrey's has gone up 278%. So, so like I've been digging in on card ladder, looking at this football is booming right now. So wait until they step on the field, wait until Christian McCaffrey has a three, four touchdown game. I think I think we're going to see something that we've never seen before this year when the market gets involved and people are going to be like, it's going to be that guy in everyone's fantasy league that doesn't give a shit that they lost this week and they're just going to say, hey, check out where all my Christian McCaffrey cards are now. Yep. <laughs> and if that starts happening, man, football could go on an exponential explosion here. And like, dude, great point about McCaffrey versus Lucas since May. Uh, you know, I'm the guy though who just bought McCaffrey like this week. <laughs> so like, I'm, I'm the guy who's like coming in after all the gains happen, right? And so maybe maybe McCaffrey just flatlines or doesn't. You know, but that could happen too. That that's the, the other. I don't why, think so. I, I I'm I probably not. You know, like I don't know, but like that's why I picked McCaffrey too. Though I settled on him is because like this is a guy who is established. Who like if he, God forbid, got injured this year, like, I'm not too worried about, like, what would happen when he comes back. He's accomplished things. He's a fun player with a fun resume. So, like, and he's someone I want to collect, you know? Like, I, I would love to have some McCaffrey cards on my PC. It allows me to tell a, a more diverse story about collecting when if I can show people McCaffrey cards and it's not just the same stupid Luca and Jordan crap over and over again. So, like, I feel good about it. And, and I always pick cards that, like, if those cards lost, a significant amount of their value, I would be fine with it. Like mm-hmm. I always try to do it that way. And that's something I learned from the great collectors is like you pick cards that you love. And then if the money follows, great. So that's the philosophy that I've always adopted. And the, the irony of it though, is that that philosophy tends to be very financially prudent because it's not just you who's doing it that way. It's other collectors too. And when those, that number of collectors reaches a critical mass, a market, can go absolutely crazy. So if you, you, so who would you rather collect? Would you rather collect the player who has collectors who are not selling their cards and who love them and who are in it for the long haul? Or would you collect someone that's like a, that's people are day trading and that's going to fluctuate and that you have to really try and time it. And it's going to be a gamble and it's related to on-field performance. You know, for me, I like focusing on players who have collectors and of people who want to collect that player and aren't looking to sell their cards quickly or to dump them. That's, and I think, I hope my, my estimation was McCaffrey falls more into that bucket. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, 
he gets to play Tom Brady twice this year, and he gets to play Drew Brees twice this year. So if he can, if he can take them down one time, you know, geez. <laughs> uh, man, we talked Luca, we talked football, we ran the gamut. Chris, thanks so much as always. I guess before I let you go, what's happening with the Mavs? What do you think is the outcome of this series? I think they lose this series. They put up a good fight. There's a number of what ifs. What if Porzingis doesn't get injured? What if Luka doesn't tweak his ankle? What if Porzingis doesn't get ejected? A lot of what ifs here, which lets the legacy of Luka continue to grow and the mythology of Luka will continue to grow in the offseason because they did enough against the Clippers for, for there to be optimism going into next season. But I think they lose. And, and you know, especially after that 43-point blowout the last time they played, the Clippers are just overmatching them with experience and talent right now. And dude, it's, it, I didn't even mention this, but like Kawhi Leonard is having a hell of a series. The guy is shooting like 60 something percent. His, his mid range game is Kobe and Jordan esque. He is going off. Kawhi Leonard is absolutely, he, he was carrying the load even when Paul George was, was in a slump. Like the guy is going off. So Bro. I think the Clippers will get the best of him. Yeah, bro, and with Kawhi, man, it blows my mind. It's like this series is about Luka and the series is about Paul George not showing up until the last game. Kawhi's not mentioned. There's just – it's about everything else happening in the league, and it's for whatever reason he's never <laughs> mentioned. And it's just the most underappreciated great player of this generation. Yep, and you know what? I think he likes it that way. I think he just likes to quietly go about his job and dude, he is killing. Like I, this, I haven't watched Kawhi this closely all season. And now that I'm watching, you know, I, I study Mavs games. So like I've, I've watched him, you know, in five straight games. The guy is phenomenal. <laughs> so like I just don't think the Mavs are going to be able to overcome the Clippers, but they put up a good fight. Yep. Yes, they do. Well, thanks again, man. We'll have you back on sometime soon. Thanks, man. Hopefully you like what you heard. Chris is going to be a reoccurring guest here. He's just such a positive dude and has so much great perspective. I really enjoy engaging with him. Go follow the House of Jordans. Follow Card Ladder. Follow all that stuff. Hit that subscribe button. Leave the five-star review. If you like what you heard, come on. You know the drill. Take it easy. Talk to you real soon. Happy collecting. Happy investing. Happy investing.